0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Anthony.
1: And this is Dan.
2: This is Kim.
0: Hey, this is Chris. All right. Welcome to episode 10. We're at the one-oh, double digits, guys.
2: Woo! It's our paper
0: anniversary. (laughs) Yeah. We actually did them all consecutively. We didn't even skip a week.
1: I know, which is pretty awesome. I'm definitely liking this.
0: Are we going to do a flashback episode now?
1: I think we should.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're halfway through the season, right? Yeah. (laughs) The writers need a break. That's (laughs) right. Do a
1: clip show. Now, our next episode will be in 16 weeks from now when you pretty much forget everything that we talked to up until this point, and then we recap it in 18 seconds to get you ready. That's
0: right. Exactly. And we'll assume you're very dumb and not <laughs> listen to any of these, even if you've listened to them all twice. Yeah.
1: So. And we can leave some dangling, like, dangling plot threads that we just never address because, you know, it's a couple months later. and Who cares?
3: I think we should do that. At the end of the episode, we should have a cliffhanger.
1: Yeah, I do like that. Okay?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Extra Life is two weeks from now. Two week. One week. Yeah. Extra Life is one week from now.
1: Yeah, by the time this releases, it's going to be just hours and hours.
0: We'll be in counting ways. down by hours. You'll have a clock <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> I think
1: we should. I mean, if they have those things for Friday Night Magic and when a new movie or something comes out. Like, you know, remember when like Hello was coming out in the stores? 34 days, 11 hours, and 6 minutes. We need one of those clocks.
0: But yeah, it's uh, one week from now, and um, we're in the final preparation stage. Uh, have our, I have all the raffle things in. We have an auction getting put together. We have a schedule of games that is now up you can take a look and see what we're going to play and when you can sign up for those if the slots are open if you're in the area
1: and we also have the listing of all our prizes for the raffle and we're also going to have a video segment showing the same thing so there's going to be tons of prizes so i know for a lot of people that don't live on the island the idea of coming to staten island for anything is usually not regarded as the highest honor but there's going to be tons of games tons of prizes really good times so I think just once, you got to kind of put away that, uh of crossing the bridge and coming over. But if you're in the area, you should definitely come by our Myriad Games.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to be open at 10 a.m., November 2nd, Saturday. Um, and, of course, 25 hours. So we'll be there until 11 a.m. Sunday. Uh, you can stop by any time. and you know, We're going to be there all day.
3: Yeah, we'll be collecting donations. And if you like the podcast, we'll actually be recording live at the store.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're going to try to record periodically throughout the day kind of like updates on the events what games we're playing what we're giving away how everybody's doing um you might even be on the podcast if you stop in
1: yeah and we're also going to make a highlight video of the prizes giving and given away and any special shout outs that people
0: want to give
3: yeah it should be a good time because we're having a lot of people come from different areas to come together and it's all for, for a great cause
0: yeah it's gonna be fantastic and if you're not in new york new jersey and if you're not in the area um listen up next week because we're going to have a special kind of online only podcast uh, raffle that we're still putting together. But it's going to be a chance for you to be a part of the event, and you could possibly win a prize.
1: Yeah, it'll be really great. So you know, just stay tuned to the Twitter and Facebook, keep a lookout, and we're going to have even more information very
0: soon. So other than Extra Life, it's actually been a pretty busy week. On Tuesday, we uh, drove out to Dunnell, New Jersey, uh, met up with Andrew Parks. He had the launch event for his uh, Kickstarter game that he did back in May, which I backed. And so I, uh, we went out, Chris, Kim, and I. Um, to the event. And we met up with him. He signed our game. Um, he showed us how to play. It was a lot of fun.
1: And what's the name of that game again? Canterbury. There you go.
3: <laughs> yeah, we actually got to even meet uh, Stephen Bonacore was there too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <gasps> I hate my job that much more now. <laughs> yeah, it was
0: great. I got to stop and say hi, introduce ourselves, um, thank him for his generous donation, which was awesome. So, And he's on his way to Essen right now. So That is awesome. Yeah. He'll actually be selling Canterbury in You know, at the the fair in Germany. Really? So that's where you, if you're in Germany, and actually we do have a few listeners in Germany, if you're in Germany and you're going to the fair, you can pick up Canterbury at the Stronghold Games booth.
1: Yeah, so in the unboxing video you guys put together, I saw that there was the German rule book, and I was like, well, this is fantastic. I'll finally be able to be bilingual at the board game table. Exactly, right? Yeah. (laughs) But only in references to Canterbury.
0: (laughs) It's probably a good two or three thousand words in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a depth of German, but
3: really, really specific to this little area, this little spot, just here,
1: just playing this game, just these rules. Soon I will know how to say "Did you put the farm next to the well?"
2: in German. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You'll be able to describe a seventh-century city. There you go. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. We, um, you know, he showed us how to play, but he also gave us a donation for the raffle, which is fantastic, and that's a signed copy of the game.
3: Yeah, we're, this is a really a great donation because Canterbury can't be found anywhere as of yet. If you if you didn't pick up on the Kickstarter, it's not in stores yet. So this is a really great opportunity for you to pick up this game, which isn't a limit, which is currently in a limited run.
0: Yeah, and um, I think you said November sixth, which is after the event is when it's going to retail. But I know, yeah, limited run. Yeah, um, it wasn't. It was a successful Kickstarter, but it wasn't a huge, huge Kickstarter. So I know he was talking about possible second run and yeah. you know, seeing how it does.
1: Yeah, I was actually checking on the game store sites to see what dates they have listed. It's just currently pre order. They don't have the definitive as to when they can ship it out yet.
0: Yeah, I don't know if he meant like it's going to distributors on the sixth or like when it'll actually be in stores. Probably be online soon. But yeah. it'll definitely be after Extra Life, sometime in November.
1: And like the one thing is, I mean, uh we got a chance to play it and you guys played it at the day of the event as well. And we're gonna be talking about it a little bit later. But I will definitely say like Canterbury is it's a very different style of game. So if you like Euros and you want to try something with a very different element, this is definitely going to be a really cool prize to get. So try to come out, because when that ticket comes up, if you get your chance of getting Canterbury, you're going to be a very happy gamer.
0: Yeah, this is a great game. So yeah, definitely, and stay tuned for a review later, because we're going to go through it more thoroughly. So And as for the last event, we have uh, Chris was in the Attack Wing Tournament. Yesterday?
3: Yes, I Yesterday? was. And I totally damned it.
0: You did. yeah. <laughs> I danned
1: the heck out of that thing. I, I saw your look of like, oh, wait, does, so if I use this weapon, does it just blow up your shit for one <laughs> shot? Oh, it does? I'll do that
3: then. <laughs> yeah, we got to play uh, three rounds and got probably about a third of a game in um, with one person and probably half a game with somebody else and came down to tournament, big Deep Space Nine, Star Trek fan. Bought a bunch of ships, Dominion was available as one of the open factions, so I picked up the Dominion ships, and if, you, if you're if you not familiar with Star Trek, these were a new um, race from a, a different galaxy that um, played a big part in Deep Space Nine, so I picked up a couple of ships, had like five minutes to throw all the cards together, not sure if it was going to work, and then was lucky enough and... I want to say skilled enough, but more like I was lucky enough. I was going to say,
1: did you do it? I did? Just like, oh, I like that. This thing looks cool.
3: <laughs> Definitely. Why not?
1: How so, many points is this? Well, this does equal two hundred. I'm using these. Yeah, this is, <laughs> sounds good. Ah, I think just, this. Guy,
3: this guy's. This guy's great. So actually, my uh, my my knowledge and understanding of the show kind of helped here a little bit because I've never played in a tournament like this before, and was, I was up against some really great players. Um, I got first round. I played Frank, and me and him were kind of neck to neck, and I kind of pulled that one out. Then I got to play Vin who won the last time around and he had a great kind of Klingon fleet that was kind of bulldozing
1: everybody and I was able to knock him out and practically destroy all his ships. Now I have a question. When you beat him, did he say like you disgraced his family, kicked open the table and they <laughs> broke out that two-bladed thing? That's right. That little battle faction. Dum, 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 dum in the background. <laughs>
3: so yeah, that was great. And then uh was he able to pull out the, the final win versus Ivan. Yeah, it, was
1: good, it was a good time. That's pretty awesome, man. Now, yeah. like, now, because I know you play a ton of games, but you never like were into like Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic. You know, you never played those like collectible twenty games before.
3: Yeah, I've never been a, a tournament guy. I'm really just into having you know having fun playing the game. So not really into much winning or losing, just really enjoying and, this and process. that's the thing.
1: I think like that's what gave me the luck too. I think it's like a case of when you don't play that stuff too often, you're not overthinking anything. Sure. You're just going. Well, these guys are cool. Yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, like, take for, like, Magic Drafts. I remember when I used to play it, it would be like, I'm taking every card that's red and/or <laughs> and or black. And it's like, oh, my God, how, how come you're winning? Because my deck is red and or black. Right? <laughs> 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 you know, it's, when you don't overthink the tournaments, that's the best, because you're not, you don't get thrown off your own game because you didn't have a strategy going in, so nobody can really disrupt
3: it. Yeah, you're definitely overthinking your own strategy when you have it. I know we played the, uh, the board game tournaments. It seemed like if, you've, if you don't have the game... Probably win. <laughs> exactly.
0: That seems to be the rule. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you feel now that you've played this about next month? Because you're not, you can't dan it next month. Yeah. <sighs> you, you're now experienced.
3: It's true. I'm not too sure. You know, it was a lot of pressure. It was, it, you know, we tried to squeeze everything in on, the, on, you know, the time frame, the small time frame that we had. And it really does take a big commitment because there's so many cards, so many ships, oh, yeah. and it is such a large cost to put together this constructed um, fleet. So we'll see how how it goes. But what, the good thing about what WizKids did here is that each month is a different um, story arc. So the last time we had these orbital wep- weapon platforms, so if you flew by them, they just shot at someone randomly. That's cool. Yeah, whoever <laughs> was yeah, nuke <laughs> them. Yeah, so whoever was closest got shot. It didn't really didn't play sides. This one I think is there's a battle on a planet, and you're dropping troops on and off, and you're fighting on the planet. So basically by that. It allows for uh, some different gameplay.
1: Yeah, I heard like I mentioned like you'll be able to rescue people and like you know like if you have people like on the planet longer, you'll get more points too and stuff like that. Yeah, if they
3: battle, if you if you win the battle on the on the planet, that you'll get extra points at the end.
1: All right, so um, so the one thing I'll say for like the next month, of Tackling twenty, just put together your initial team, put it in a box, and then never look back. Because the second you start going, well, maybe I want to use this instead, that's when you're going to start getting in your own head and mess yourself up. It's true. <laughs> The more unprepared
3: you are, the better it is. And that's what's dangerous about these games, like like you said, Magic and Hero Clicks, that once you get a couple of them, you're like, hey, I, if I only had this one, this one would work with that one, and the next thing you know, you have a second mortgage on your house.
1: Yeah, well, see, now that you mention that, um, recently, me and Kim did something really, really bad. We bought two of those Theros starter decks. Oh, that? no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and... Um, you know, it's just it's fun to play it again. It's like something, you know, we haven't played Magic in a couple of sets, so it's fun checking the game out again, trying something new. I love the theme of this one because that Greek and Roman style with, like, minotaurs and harpies and everything, it's a really fun game. But it also comes with two booster packs with your starter deck, you know, so you can have extra stuff. Sure. And then, like, open one pack, and it's like, oh, okay, this is okay, and then open another pack, and then there was a pack that had the was Walker Ashiuk or such. He's, like, this Nightmare Weaver. And he's awesome as can be, and it's a really cool card, and I have to get rid of it immediately. Because having a card like this makes you go, oh, well, maybe I'll just pick up a few of the land cards so he can come out more often. Maybe I should get another copy of the Planeswalker. Well, I'm going to make a deck around him. Now I need these rares. Here's $185 online retailer. Let me have all those cards for this deck. Sure. And then three months later, new cards come out. Oh, here's another. one. So I'm going to get rid of this card so I can never fall back into that trap. Gotcha. Because it is scary. We were there once. We used to have like 10,000 cards. <laughs> we had those pizza boxes. Did you really? Yeah, it wow. was scary. Wow. Because you need, you need four of everything because what if you want to make a deck with this? So our goal is to make it where all of our magic cards fit in one deck box. Sure. So we can never accidentally have more than that. That's that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I went down that
0: route like a year ago with Return to Ravnica. Mm -hmm. I was like, cards, cards, cards. And I think like $70 in, I was like, no, no, no. They're still in my attic. I haven't gotten rid of them, but I haven't looked at them since.
3: Well, speaking about addictions, um, one of the addictions that we're kind of following is the uh, Reaper miniatures on Kickstarter. So we've been giving you updates and really trying to get you to come out and and, uh, donate for this because it's really an outstanding set of miniatures. And the stretch goals are just incredible.
1: Yeah, and I mean, anytime a Kickstarter starts out with stretch goals of everywhere from 135,000 to past the multi million mark, I mean, you gotta admit, they kind of got brass to do that, to be like, yeah, we're gonna get all the monies. And they they did. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it's just, it's not even arrogance or cockiness. It's just like, we know what you want. Yeah, now
3: at this point, they're over $2 million. Which is awesome. It's crazy. And, and what's really fun is you get to see they keep adding new, new stretch goals. So it just keeps getting better and better.
1: And now there's about a week left. It's just like shy of a week, and it hit $2 What I'm curious about is this. So you figure it's like an average of like every like about 12 days on the Kickstarter, it's been a $1 million. I'm wondering how many people in that last 24 to 48 hours are going to be like, ah, I don't know. All right, let me put it in. And then it's just going to...
0: yeah because at this point they don't need your money yeah we're we're telling you because it's awesome this is like a great chance for you to get a lot of great stuff for you know 100 bucks for how many i mean at at this
1: point now it's just so
0: many so
1: many and i mean even if say you just like the add-on guys you pledge one dollar and then you're entitled to order any of the
0: add-ons and the prices on those are great too
1: they beat stores and they are amazing like you play D and do it. You play any tabletop RPG that you can use these minis, and then like they even threw in the stuff like the Doctor Who telephone booth and yeah. just all these like random like mouseling things. Which hey, why not? You play Mice and Mystics, Make up your own heroes. I it's your those. game. You can those do those whatever look you great, want. Great, actually, I want that set. Yeah, and there's there's an RPG it's tabletop. Bucks, yeah. yeah, there's a tabletop RPG called like Mouse Guard. Yeah, yeah. use them with that. Yeah, you know.
3: Yeah, I'm looking for especially for the board games. So if you have some components that are not up to the quality of the game itself. Pick some of these up, and you can play them in the game. I'm looking yeah. forward to the uh, dragons to use in my Defenders of the Realm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to definitely be using some of these guys for playing like Mage Wars and stuff like that. Dude, Summoner Wars. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, you could that'd be great. Take some of the orcs, put them on top. Bam! There's you know your, your goblin and orc team. I mean, like, you can use them for any game, and they're so good. And the best thing in the world about this is if you are thinking about painting miniatures, you pick up this Reaper set. You can trash 50 of them. You can mess up as much as you want. You can see what happens when you hold it up to a flame. You
0: can use them as door <laughs> stuff. You
1: still have bags of miniatures for anything else. That's yeah. awesome.
0: Yeah, and I saw it too hidden in there on the extras is you can get, I think, 18 paints. Or yeah, 12. They, 12 or 18 bucks. So it's like a buck. A buck like and a half a third piece. third of the price of what you pay online. Yeah, I mean. And Reaper paints are good.
1: Yeah, you get them like anywhere from like 229 to 299 when you go around shops and everything. But it's a great starter set too. They give you a nice range of colors. You get a lot of mixing. I mean, like, I'll be the first to admit it. My paints are so so, but with that many miniatures, I mean, more than enough practice. One other thing that looks awesome as an add on is that case. I just saw it. Yeah, yeah. I want that. It is a very good price. And how many does it hold? I think like almost 60 or something. It does not say, but I would say. Because I, I think it's a two tier. Yes. Yeah, which is awesome. Lots. Inserts come out. That is amazing you know, that that is a great add-on. I mean, if you play any miniature games... Cause, it like um,
3: about 60.
1: Yeah, because one thing is like... Uh, I, like, one thing I was thinking of uh, picking up recently, and I'll mention it in our Acquisition Disorder, because it's going to be a surprise for you, Anthony. <laughs> but uh, I was thinking of adding that case on just in general for, like, other miniature style games, because that is cool as can be. Worst-case scenario, even if you play Dungeon Command, throw all your armies in there, hollow out one of the panels to put the deck of cards in, you got to do dungeon commands with you everywhere.
0: Yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah, and some of the cases, you know, not in the Kickstarter here, they're around like 40, 50 bucks. They're not cheap. Yeah. So, I
1: mean, it, it's definitely the Kickstarter. You know, a lot of people the first time around, they were like, oh, I can't wait to see if they ever do this again, if they ever do this again. Awesome stretch goals, amazing add ons. This is definitely like, this is the Kickstarter success.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, so that's all the news we have for this week. Uh, Essen is next week, I think. So I know a lot of the podcasts are on a hiatus, I guess you'd call it. We are not. We will be recording next week and during Extra Life.
1: I mean, to be and fair, we did try to do Essen last year, but then we just kept going to every bar we ever saw, and then we never
0: laughed. Yeah, I mean, so. you put it during Oktoberfest. Yeah. What are you going to do?
1: Because <laughs> the only thing better than, um, you know, looking at board games and everything is Daspias.
0: But on the plus side, we will have news about Essen. So, and some of our acquisition disorders are games that we know are coming out at Essen. So uh, lots of news coming up. And you should listen to us, because we're going to have new episodes in the next couple weeks about all these new games.
3: And if by chance you've just listened to this um, audio podcast without actually looking at the screen, you may notice that there's actually different clips of the games.
0: Yeah, so you can see what we're talking about, which is extra cool with like, a new game that maybe you haven't seen on the shelf before. Um, You can see, you know, what it's going to look like, how big the box is, maybe what the art is, the component. All right, so that's all the news for this week. Uh, Next up, let's look at some of those new games that are on the horizon. And now it's time for Acquisition Disorder Corner. What's got our eyes this week, guys?
1: All right, so there's two things that I got my eyes on. The first is another game by Asmodee Games. It's called Berserk War of the Realms.
0: I don't know what it is, but it
1: sounds awesome. Well it's Stevenson Fantasy, so you already I'm interested. Good. And yeah, it's always good, a nice good. point. Price point is it's forty-five retail, so about thirty-five online. Okay. Price point is nice. Very
0: good.
1: Playtime, twenty to thirty. It's only a two-player game, but again, you know, I like those nice little fantasy quick two-player games. Now, here's where it sounds interesting. You're putting together it's a customized card game. Already a huge selling point to me. This is a part that sounds almost like it's something with another game. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You're gonna get thirty card plains deck, a thirty card mountains deck, a thirty card forest deck, a thirty card swamp deck. No islands though. Oh. Uh, yeah. Apparently, and also thirty card fire. <laughs> I well, didn't know fire was a location. Intellectually you distinct. Yeah. I also didn't know fire was a location you can go to. Yeah. They found a body in the swamp. I went climbing on the mountain. Where would you go? Fire. I went to fire. <laughs> But, I mean, it sounds pretty interesting. You know, it's like Asmodee has a lot of great games. I'm really impressed with their pedigree so far. And, you know, I always love those nice little quick games. You know, you got two people waiting around, Game of Suburbia's wrapping up, you're waiting to get in a game of this, maybe Diplomacy or something. It's a nice little quick, something to just get in between. So it's definitely something that's interesting to me. And then the second part, which I mentioned before about that Kickstarter box, I'm looking at those Malifaux starter sets more and more.
0: Ooh. Yeah.
1: And here's what I'm thinking. Like if I was to order one in the rule book, you would probably feel guilty that I ordered those and you wouldn't want me to have the stuff and not to be able to play. So maybe you would order an army and then like maybe you would be like, yeah, I don't know if I really got the cash it right now. And I'd be like, well, I'll pay half if you pay my army. <laughs> so this way, my guys look good and I got someone to play against. So I'm thinking I'm going to do that to try to guilt you. So I'm telling you now. So it's not a sneak So attack. it's harder to say no. Pretty yeah, much.
0: I'm in. Sweet, the 2.0, the new stuff.
1: Yeah, it, it looks cool. Yeah, I mean, it does look really cool. Yeah, and uh, miniature market has a Malifaux 2.0 items at 25 percent off, and I mean, there's got to be something to hit that hundred dollars for free shipping. So armies are a great way to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's tempting. Those things are great too, because you get like the one little pack. What is it, thirty bucks, twenty five on? Yeah, and it's like five market. or six
1: guys based on which side you're choosing. And I love the range of the characters in that game. It looks awesome, and I want I want to play some type of miniature combat.
0: Yeah, definitely, and they look fun to paint because there's so much going on. They're not like, I'm wearing armor, and it's all gray, and I'm wearing a helmet, and it's a little bit of gold on it, and it's like, okay, I get it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, and like I said, those guys are also great for D&D. Like, Malifaux is one of the few games you can double up the use of those miniatures for quite Same easily. size base,
0: right. So one game that I've uh, had my eye on, and I saw them playing it at uh, the Canterbury event, which I thought was funny because we were all playing Canterbury, but it's been on the shelf at uh, Myriad for, I don't know, a couple weeks, but it's the new Days of Wonder game. Uh, Relic Runners. So it looks pretty awesome. It's a Days of Wonder game. Uh, the components look fantastic. It's that whole idea of, you know, the, back in the 19th century, digging around for lost treasures and hidden cities.
1: Yeah, um, I, I gotta know, like, because I saw that component listing, and it sounds awesome. Do they look really nice sculpts, those, like those pieces?
0: Yeah, the the uh, components look fantastic. I mean, they look really cool. Um, I don't know a whole lot about how the game plays, but I know it's a Days of Wonder game. I know they put a lot of time and effort into making it look really good, and, uh, from what I've heard, people are really impressed with how it plays out.
3: Yeah, Days of Wonder always does a really great job with their components, and it looks a lot of fun. It's got this kind of cartoony look to it, but uh, has a has
1: a decent game to it. From what we were seeing. Yeah, yeah, the the art style looks like it's meant to just appeal to like wide range, like not just hardcore, but the the component list sounded awesome. Yeah, if you ever
3: played uh, Forbidden Island, the 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 treasure tokens look very similar to that.
1: That's cool.
0: That's very cool. Those little sculpts. Yeah. So that's definitely something I want to try out very soon. Uh, I, I keep seeing it on the shelf, so it's, it's tempting me. That and Lost Legends are just sitting there waiting to be played.
1: But the they're painted pieces, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I was gonna say because I saw the game was like slightly pricey, but yes. I mean, if it's painted pieces, you can deal.
0: Yeah, I mean the components are high high enough quality that you get what you're paying for. I think. All right, so there's a lot of new games coming out uh, in Essen next week, and we've been keeping our eye on a lot of these. There's I think like three or four hundred hitting the fair. My Lord. So <laughs> <that's> <laughs> yeah, I a right. Lot. Yeah, exactly. So it's um. Obviously, you can't list all of them, and they're probably not all. Some of them are actually already out too; they're just, you know, officially debuting there. But these are some that looked pretty cool, just from what we've seen of the previews and um, games we want to try out. Uh, just at, off the top of the list, Tosh Kalar has been hitting the top of uh, uh, Board Game Geek a lot lately, and it's. I think how it, I read it described was. Kind of Summoner Wars with a Euro style to oh. it. Yeah, so you have these cards, and they each have like various conditions, and when you get to pull them out based on where resources hit the table. So, oh, that sounds. There, I think there's three factions. Um, and there are multiple summoners, and you can summon different monsters based on these conditions. Oh my god, I think I that sounds awesome. It does sound awesome. Oh my god, please don't come out before the end of the year. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to want that too. (laughs) I mean, it's coming out of Europe, so maybe it'll be delayed just long enough so you can afford it. What was the other one we saw, the sequel to Agricola? Uh, Caverna? Yeah. Is that how you pronounce that? Yeah, Caverna. So
3: it's actually Agricola, but in a cave. So if you've enjoyed those two hour long Agricola games where you're farming to save your family, you'll actually get to do this, but
1: now in a cave environment. I think I heard a little something about this too. And there's actually like an adventuring component or something too or something like that, where it's like, there's some, it's not just a reskin to Agricola. There's actually going to be like a new element or two.
0: Yeah, they're adding a lot of new stuff. And I know you can play up to seven now. Wow. So And it's still 30 minutes per player, so four hours. Yeah. But once again, the
3: uh, tokens look great. You're going to get more animal meeples again this time and Agricola really is a love or hate it kind of game. I actually do love it. We got a chance to play it last week, and I squeaked out a two-point victory over Earl, which is kind of mm-hmm. Earl's the master at that game. Um, so I'm really looking forward to trying this out, because it looks like it's the next step for it. Man, you've been like, on a hot streak, really. You're a take, little bit. Taking on
1: Attack Wing, taking on Earl and Agricola. <laughs> you should see when I played my uh, sheep against his <laughs> D- Dominion Flit. <laughs> <That>. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of feel like I want to kind of get a game of Spirium and now again see if that streak is going to discontinue or if one of us can topple you now. Spirium, my one weakness. One of the few games I can hold my own against you.
0: Those games are hitting the fair, and that's in Suburbia Inc. Pretty sure it's going to be there. They're saying it's going to be there. And I want it it going to be there? I think it's going to be there. I think
3: it's going to be there. I heard rumors that it's going to be
0: there.
2: I don't think it's going to be there.
3: Kim
0: doesn't think it's going to be there. Why don't you think it's going to be there?
2: Because it doesn't sound like it's going to be there.
0: Oh, that would suck if it wasn't there. Is there going to be bees there? <laughs> bees I, everywhere.
1: I, I'm, I want that game now. Like I just, I don't want to wait for it. I don't want to see any more demos about it. I want to. Re- I just want it in my hands. You know, playing like a little more suburbia again recently. I just, I want, I want it now. I don't want to wait any longer. And the other thing too is, I want the stupid um, King of Tokyo stuff out. Yeah. Halloween, Halloween soon. Section. Give me my guys to play this game. I want my Halloween dice. I know it's silly or whatever, but I just, I want these things out. I keep seeing pre-order, pre-order, pre-order. Gimme. Eleven I'm, days. You have eleven days. I know. I, oh.
3: Well, Essence is, the, Essence is the big trade show, so everything has to kind of wait around for that moment to, to kind of pop out. And the uh, Suburbia expansion
1: actually comes in a bag.
3: So it actually fit right into your game, so you don't have to worry about dealing with another box. Yeah, and... I,
1: I mean, that's smart. I'm, I'm tired of like, oh, here's a box that you
0: can throw out in, in 12 minutes. Sure. <laughs> yeah, those expansion boxes, it's nice, it's something to hold, but it's, yeah. it's completely pointless. You're never going to carry that anywhere yeah. with you.
1: Here's art you don't care about for the things that you're not going to hold on to. Just jam this into your regular game anyway. Yeah. yeah. Make it fit, though. Just make it fit.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I do like the expansion boxes. I do like the artwork, but it's nice that they thought ahead and were able to fit everything in the box. I'm
1: just wondering if it's going to be like in a bag, though, if it's any chance of damages and shipments and such. Hopefully it'll hold up well. Hope so, yeah. Like, pack it and foam.
3: Yeah. Well, the, the uh, cardboard Suburbia is pretty thick. Yeah, that's true. It's not. It's not, it
0: doesn't have cheap components to it. So. Yeah. And there's no meeples to lose their legs. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: No spearhead accidents. Well, that's only because you know got crushed into mining colonies. <laughs> <laughs> so thematic. Yeah. Man, I'm just. I'm really hoping that when Essen rolls around, that like you know we'll go into the local game store and just like bam, like 50 new things on that shelf of new releases. Oh, and it's just... gonna happen. Remember after.
0: Uh... Gen Con? Yeah, yeah, that was good. Like early September? Oh, that
1: was so nice. Yeah. (laughs) Just walking in, and I want one of those, and one of those, and i don't take three of these. (laughs) These are mine now. (laughs) Yeah, that was a really good time. That was when you definitely hit Titanium at Myriad. Yeah, definitely.
0: (laughs) Well worth it that time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so there's a few other games coming out, too, which I don't know a whole lot about. I've just seen them pop up. Um, There's a board game based on Heroes of Might and Magic called Might and Magic Heroes, because they inverted it for some reason. Um, that looks awesome. I know nothing about it, but the board just there's so much going on on the board, and it just looks it looks like they took that game and managed to convert it to a board game.
1: Yeah, I mean, which could be interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm a little curious about that. I'm almost a little apprehensive because IPs are like, I mean, it really is the ultimate coin flip. You're just hoping
0: hit hey or miss. Yeah, you have to hope that they pulled the theme, and they're like, how do we build a good game around this theme? Not let's slap a theme on it. Yeah, a lot of stuff coming out um, probably in the next three four weeks. This will keep our acquisition disorder very busy.
1: I'm really hoping. I, I mean, I know it's not so much a real Essen drive thing, but I would love it if Steve Jackson has some information about the Car Wars remake at Essen.
0: That would be pretty cool. I
1: haven't heard news on that for a while, and that's one of the remakes that I can't wait to see.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know they're just about finished up with that ogre Yeah. Uh, the Kickstarter, so they've got to be moving on to Car Wars.
1: Oh, my God, because that game was so much fun back in the day. Yeah,
0: that's so cool. They're bringing it back. All right, so that's everything that's got our eye this week. Uh, let's hop on and look at what we played.
2: The table
0: this week okay so what's hitting our table this
2: i actually tried out the new uh thero set from magic gathering our good friend nick was able to play with me i had a black blue deck and he had a white blue white black and the black black blue deck was pretty awesome it got yeah. creatures out fast.
1: That's that uh, devotion to darkness
2: deck. Yeah. And but the white black was very weak. Like from what we played, we played two games and whoever had the white black deck just kept getting destroyed. We we tried to get creatures out, but the black black blue deck kept either um exiling creatures or you know um putting them back into the hand.
1: Yeah, and a lot of cards have that devotion mechanic. It's like, if you've ever played Magic, you know, you're familiar with the mana symbols, devotion is this awesome mechanic that they came up with where your devotion is equal to the number of cards you have out with that mana symbol in them. And this devotion to darkness deck has tons of cards that are black permanents, that have like two or three black mana symbols, and then all the cards have devotion to black. Some of them is like the devotion to black. You look at your devotion to black number of cards from their hand and make them discard one. They lose that much life. You get it back. You get that many harpies. So it's so cool that everything you're putting out is making every other card stronger. Like, I really like that idea from Magic. And it's I mean, every new set, they're always throwing in a new mechanic or bringing something back. But this by far is one of the coolest ideas that they had in ages. This this is actually something that makes me like playing the game again. And um, you know, I heard recent like recently mentioned on another podcast about how some, you know, they just enjoy playing those starter decks just to keep the game simple so they're not investing tons of money back in the game. And we've been having fun doing that again. You know, it's I haven't played Magic for a while, but it is a, it's still a great game. I just don't want to get too into it so I can still have fun. Like I want to play in a smile too.
0: Yeah. You guys have me uh, wanting to go buy one now.
1: <laughs> I mean, you should. I mean, we the decks look them.
0: great. I mean, that's what I did last year. I started with one of those starter decks and it, you know, snowballed, but the 15 bucks you get to play just straight out of the deck, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, let's just say you get some unbelievable card in one of the booster packs. You know, if you want to keep it balanced, you can always just be like, yeah, I'm going to sell this card off and then buy the other two starter decks, and then we, you know,
0: now you have even more range to play. Yeah. And this way you control that urge. <laughs> I really want to try out that devotion mechanic. That sounds really cool. It does sound
1: awesome. I can't wait to see what they do with it.
2: Plus also, um, I think the best way to play Magic is to basically play a deck you don't know what what cards are in it so it's kind of like that random feeling where it's like oh cool this card does this and instead of you know you have like a set deck and it's like well i didn't like why can't i draw this creature or whatever
1: yeah like you don't want to get upset that you're not getting that card i gotta admit it is really cool when you just get that deck and just start shuffling it because there's nothing quite like that smile that creeps on your face. You're like, this guy is awesome! <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that's awesome. With Magic especially, you don't really get the feel of how good you are at strategy until you're pulling random cards out. If you know exactly what's coming, you have a plan in place.
1: Yeah. And again, I like that idea of you know not getting upset that your plan doesn't come together, but just rather see what you can do with what you got. Yeah. So uh, mm-hmm. speaking of card games, where we were just seeing what you got when you start playing... Uh, Anthony, we got to try out the new High Command Hordes, which I was really happy for that. It was pretty cool. Um, Legion of Everblight is an undead faction, so I'm happy that they're in it. Like, I always love my undead in these games. We tried it out. We, you know, tried out some of the new units. I gotta admit, the Hordes has some interesting stuff. They seem to have a little bit more of a variety over the War Machine guys. Um, Like, I'm not too familiar with the, the universe of Hordes, but I know one of the decks that we had access to actually had tons of guys that can shift around on the battlefield. So playing against them, you got to be more ready because at any point he can just jump three of his guys over from locations by playing in these additional units. And the guys that I were playing had all of their warriors were helping each other out. Like one guy gave every warrior that didn't have swordsman this ability. and One guy was for every warrior he got plus health. Another guy was if there's two or more warriors, you can force when your opponents move. So there was so many of these like really cool... Warrior Technique cards in this deck. Like, I like the War Machine guys. They seem really cool, but the Hordes, it looks like they went for a little bit more variety, and it's getting me even more anxious to see what they put in that expansion for uh, the High Commands War Machine that's coming out next month.
0: Yeah, they didn't go overboard. There's not, like, a ton of new mechanics here. It's basically the same idea of the same game. It seemed like most of the changes were more thematic. You know, Hordes is different than War Machine for this reason or this reason, so that's what fits the cards. But the movement... That's cool. I mean, that's, I think it's one of the things missing from the, uh, the high command was that you, you throw your guys out there, they sit there, you fight two or three rounds, and then someone wins that location. Now you're moving people back and forth. It's hard to know. It's more like Smash Up where you are moving a lot of your people around, especially with some of those deck mix-ups.
1: Yeah, and your guys were pretty, you were using the Legion of Everblade, and that was pretty awesome. You had a couple of nice moves going on, dropped a few more surprises. I like that it kept you a little more involved in the game. Like, you were no longer just waiting until you get to go to do what you want to do. You actually had to keep an eye out on constantly what your opponent's guys do. So it felt a little more interactive, too, which is always cool.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it was cool the way that, say, you know, I throw out a long range, you know, someone who's going to—an archer, for example. Only had one health, but you had to kill everything else on the board before you could hit her, and she hit for three.
1: Yeah, that was so, pretty mean. I remember that.
0: <laughs> and there was a lot of those in that deck, so I was putting those down on every location, and then just trying to get my big, you know, the five health guys out.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm definitely glad I got it, and I love the fact that now we have that many more options when we decide to go for high command.
0: Yeah. It's all, how many decks
1: are there now? Like eight? Yeah. There's eight. There's four. F- there's four different factions in each of the sides, and what's great is picked up a few of those ultra pro deck boxes. Everything fit in one box, so I got the whole game all time. Now the one thing I saw is that while me and Anthony were duking out to try to win a few of those cities and hordes, you were playing the game that I still haven't gotten a chance to play, Revolution. So you gotta fill me in, man, because everyone keeps telling me I gotta play this game. Still haven't got a chance to play it, though.
3: Uh, Revolution's another great game by Steve Jackson Games, and it's a little different than his usual catalog of games. Revolution allows you to actually influence different people in town by using blackmail, force, and gold to be able to control different areas. So it has a bidding mechanic to it, so each player has their own little private screen and has different people within the town, and then based upon the tokens that you have and the tokens you win as the game goes on, those tokens will influence certain people, so this way you can put um, influence markers in different places and different buildings in the town and then score victory points based upon that. Um, It's really important to know what token goes with what So you have this little board that's in front of you. Some of the spots are red, some are black, and then some are red or black. Now, for example, red is force. So you can't place a force marker on somebody who has a red box for force. So you can't force a general. But you could force a a shopkeeper. So it's a little thematic as far as that's concerned. But on the other hand, since the general will be immune to force, you could blackmail him. So the tokens are really nice. You get a little red fist, a little black uh, letter, and then the gold coins are nice to have also.
1: I'm getting a little bit of a flashback to nothing personal. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit.
3: It is a little bit like this, but it's really a blind mechanic, so you don't get to see what everyone's bidding until it kind of comes out, and then everyone kind of groans, like you went there and I went there, but you had more stuff on there, and then you actually control the different areas in the game.
1: They're like, how thematic is it, though? Like, when you're, like, strong-arming a shopkeep, do you actually feel like you're kind of, like, forcing that tyrannical pull, or is it just like, oh, I'm doing this for a resource?
3: Yeah, I mean, you put influence tokens out there, little little cubes, so it really isn't as... You don't really have, like, pictures of the people there. It's a little abstract. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But the board is really nice, nice and colorful, great graphic design. There's a five- to six-player expansion called The Palace, which I think really makes the game excellent. Because up to that point, you only have this, the, the same areas again and again, but the palace adds a different dimension because you actually get to place a guard. Now, if you have your guard in the palace, which is just one little influence spot, then nobody can play the palace, which is worth the most points in the game. So it's a lot of fun to try to get control of the palace while swapping in and out of that guard position. Um, we played this a while back. I think Drew um, was the first one who introduced this to us. The first game you and I played together, right?
0: Yeah, the, the first game I actually played at Myriad at all. Sure. So this was like my introduction to these uh, designer board games. Yeah. And it was a great introduction. I love this game. And you see this, like you said, nothing personal. You also see Dominaire
3: using the same kind of mechanic about influencing certain people in order to get influence in an area that will score you victory points at the end of the game. Really simple, really fast, really fun. Um, my family plays this game. That's cool. And uh, they all like that. And it's something I like to try to get out often. There can be a problem where if you happen to be bidding against somebody and you pull up your stuff, you could get shut out for that round. Some people play with a variant that if you were shut out on a spot, you get your tokens back. Because, for example, if you do blackmail the general, he'll give you a force token at the end of the round. So you'll be able to build up more tokens as the game goes around. And it's fun in that way, but it's a little challenging, especially if you're not keeping an eye on the strategy.
0: And the tokens are limited, so you're not going to get... You can't, like, stockpile them. to. You only draw up to five, right? I think it's five or six, as five far is, as... Yeah. yeah, so whatever you get off the board, and then you take the rest in coins.
3: Yeah, you can draw up to that point. Now, the, as far as... You do can you can have a lot of tokens, if it just happens to work out that way, that you have a lot of force tokens or blackmail. Um, I think it, at some points you can have up to eight gold. I think there's two spots where you can get five and three. But as far as... The influence, I think you can only influence six spots. So you could have a lot of material to work with, but you can't influence the whole town at the same time.
0: Yeah, and it's cool because, you know, force is always going to win over blackmail or coins. Yes. You know, if it's one-to-one-to-one. Um, blackmail is always going to win over any number of coins. But then if you have a force and you know everybody else has force, maybe you have to use two force or a force and a couple coins. And that's when the strategy really comes in. You have to pay attention to what everybody else is doing. Um, Obviously, you can't see what they're bidding, but you can see what they win, and then you know what tokens they have. If you know nobody else has force and you have two, you get two freebies, basically, because nobody yes. else can bid against you. So that's one of the cool mechanics I like.
3: And it does have a little interplay, so you can play the spy and swap out someone's cube with your own. That's oh, that's good. Um, the Apocryphary, you can, you can, you can um, swap the cubes of any two influence bases. So there is some interaction as the game goes on, and it's pretty quick and simple. Once you play the first round, you know the entire game.
0: Yeah, we picked it up real fast. I think we played two or three times in a row when we yeah. first learned it. I it mean, usually fun. I played a couple times in a row. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's always a great sign, too. Like, as, if as soon as you're done a game, somebody's like, I want to play that again, that doesn't always happen. So that's always, like, a great sign of any game. when somebody's just, like, already, like, all right, cool, let's set it up again.
3: Yeah. It's a really good entry-level game oh, for, for at that level. So before you jump to Dominaire, nothing personal, try out Revolution. I think you'd be pleased with that.
0: Yeah. So I'd say it's a buy. I would definitely pick this up.
3: Yeah, this is a buy. I own this game and I bought the expansion right away because it does, it adds so much more and also adds five to six players because the original game only can play up to four players. Mm-hmm. You really want to play this with as many people as
0: possible. Yeah, I know you've played before, Kim, right? What did you think?
2: You remember me playing? I was going to say, you mentioned Anthony playing with you. You didn't mention me. I played with you. I don't remember you playing. Exactly. Because oh. was... oh. you're
3: but... that quiet.
2: No, I was actually doing pretty decent. I, was, I think that was also like one of the first games I've ever played with you. Okay. Maybe you don't remember me.
1: No, you I'm are. Hurt. I'm hurt. No, I have a question. Did you win? Maybe he's just blacking it out. <laughs> no, so, yeah. I didn't
2: win. <laughs> I know I didn't win because <laughs> I didn't like the game.
1: Did you come okay. in commanding last place?
2: I I can't remember honestly. I I the whole uh, bidding aspect, and you really can't see what other peoples are doing.
1: Just threw you off a little.
2: Yeah, just a little, and the fact that like um certain people can't be affected. By certain things i'm like eh, it, it's it's an okay game i wouldn't play it again so
1: yeah, i mean I, I gotta try it out because you, you know it does sound awesome every time i look at it i'm always like anytime you can blackmail people i'm like this sounds like a game i want to play so
0: yeah, it seems like it'd be right up your alley probably <laughs> yeah
1: yeah
3: it can be a little challenging if you get blocked a couple of rounds but if you keep an eye on where people put the in their so influence you get a sense of where they're gonna go next and Either you're going to rush a lot of your tokens there to, to kind of stop them or go somewhere else.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that's the key is interacting with everybody else. It's easy to get into it, like I'm bidding and then I'll do this and then I'll do this and then back to I'm bidding. If you really aren't paying attention, it's hard. It's easy to get blocked out and that can really hurt you. And then, yeah, you're not going to have a good time if you get blocked out all the time.
1: Yeah, that's, that's always like, that's one thing that's a little hard for people to get used to. The fact that you know, your plans don't really mean as much when you don't get to place your units or your influence where you want to, that's something that's a little, hard, like a little hard for people to adjust to the first time they play these types of games. So the fact that you said it's such a good introductory level, this would be a great place for them to start.
3: Yeah, and it kind of relates to Canterbury, which we'll talk about in a little bit, which placing the influence on the sections and then having enough influence to control the section.
0: Yeah, and kind of that solitaire aspect, but if you're not paying attention to what other people are doing, it's really going to hurt you.
1: Now, now one thing I just want to mention is because, you know, you're talking about the accessibility of this game. One of the games that we reviewed back in Episode 7, Bruges, I picked it up not too long ago because we were talking about it. I love that game. Thought it was cool. Ordered it. Uh, Me and Kim actually played it with my sister. Now, to give you an idea of the accessibility that that game offers, the most complex game that my sister played before this was Uno. (laughs) Like, you know, we play simple games together. She played, um, we played the Penny Arcade Deck Builder with her and such. She's never played Euro-style games or any games where the cards are that versatile. She actually ended up winning. Wow, wow that's and she, great. And she only beat Kim by two points. Kim was hyper-aggressive in that game. She did very well. But my sister, in the last turn of the polls, got this one guy where... He gave you two bonus victory points for each different type of people amongst your town. Uh, cool. She had seven different types out. Wow. Yeah, she wow. was just building people because she's like, I like a princess, I like this, a baker sounds cool. And it just ended up being that perfect mix where she dropped 14 points at the end of the game. That's great. Wow. Yeah, and otherwise Kim would have been leading by, I think I think she beat me by nine. Wow. So it was a very tight game. But just the fact that my sister was able, after one full turn knew how the game worked, got everything down. I mean, that game looks intimidating if you just, you know, come across the board that you're building buildings, you're putting people in, you got all these little workers. But it's so accessible, so, I mean, again, I would highly recommend, if you want to get people into, like, different style games, Revolution, Bruges, these are great, great games at an entry level for people.
0: Yeah, especially on Bruges, with like, for Euros, because there are a lot of really great Euros, but some of them are just, they're tough to teach, they're dense, they're long, um... You get somebody in on Bruges, maybe you can move up to something like Agricola down the line.
3: Yeah. Especially since you have the cards in front of you, so all the actions are right there. A lot of the Euro games are really hard to manage because there's so much going on on the board with other people. This, pretty much everything's right in your hand.
1: Yeah, and not feeling like you're making a bad decision. Like, everything is good in that game. Sure. So there's no real way to throw away your turns. Kim, how'd you like the second play of this?
2: I understood it more the second time playing it because... Last time I played it, I was dead last. And that was because my strategy was just. I didn't even have a strategy. I thought I had a strategy. Because you guys remember when I was just hoarding those little tiny workers?
3: You were know, we creating a little army to invade yeah, Bruges.
2: I was she'll getting like 40 guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> my army of little rainbow people will dominate all
1: of Bruges.
2: I couldn't remember why I was getting so many of them. I was like, oh, this is awesome! Now think, what do I do with them? I think it's
1: because you were stacking them up. You were trying to make like a human pyramid. Maybe,
2: yeah. Because like when I first played it, I didn't really like it that much. But when I played it again, and I, I, I was almost... I almost won. I actually kind of like it a bit more.
3: Um, <laughs> that helps. Yeah. Woody is good.
2: Sometimes it is. Because usually when people play a game and they lose by like a lot, sure. it, it turns them off. But, okay. you know, that's why you got to play it again and yeah. try to like...
3: Especially with the Euros, because it really, you really have to get a whole sense of the whole board and the whole game. It's not, yeah. it's not like a lot of Euro games, I'm sorry, a lot of Merit Cherish games where you're just rolling dice, and whatever happens, happens.
2: Yeah. But what I did was, um, I remember when Dan played, and he just like kept on putting out a whole bunch of people. So that's what I decided to do, and I got that people marker. Like, about, like, what, the third round in, I got, like, five or six people. That's great. And I tried to go for other stuff, but it was too late for canals, because canals, they both got three or four, and it was close to the end of the game. So I was like, okay, I'm not getting canals, but I did get the, um, what is that track? You reputation? Yes, the reputation. And I got that because there was a card that I put out where... Um, if I tie with somebody in, like, the markers that you flip over, you win. Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah, you don't, it's not a tie, nobody wins, I actually win that tie.
3: That's
1: great.
2: Yeah, so I had that, that's how I got two, two of the markers flipped over. I couldn't get the canals, but I got the other two, which was pretty good.
1: And you also had that awesome guy that every time she moved up on the reputation track... You get to remove one of the threats. Yeah. Oh wow, I like that. That was so cool because every time she was like, "Oh, two fires? Oh, I get rid of those. I got two <laughs> floods, oh, I get rid of those."
2: Yeah, and he would pass me a farm. Like, why are you doing that? You know what I'm gonna do.
1: <laughs> yeah, at the beginning of the turn, she just goes no and throws the two <laughs> coins to me.
2: <laughs> <I didn't> throw. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Haphazardly tossed. <laughs>
2: okay. But yeah, I got like uh, buildings out, people out, and I was just keeping track of what the characters were able to do. Like, I I liked sticking with people who had the infinite loop. Sure. Where their effects would stay. Yes. Then opposed to, like, people who would just... It would be an instant, and that's it. Yeah, the, the one-shots. Yeah.
1: But, yeah, I mean, it, she had, like, a dozen people in front of her at the end of the game. She got so many bonus points from them that, it, like I said, I mean, it was such a close, tight game. The only thing that messed me up slightly was I was going for the canal route. Yeah. And if I got to get that extra statue, that would have helped out a bit. But I just, the la- all I needed was a yellow card. It was like, and purple, and purple, <laughs> and brown, and br- Oh, come on! Like, it just didn't come off. And oh, I was so close, so close to that extra statue, which would have helped me cover the gap. I mean, I still would have lost. But it's, <laughs> you feel better when you lose by a point or two instead of, like, a dozen, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, all in all, I gotta say, like, Bruges, I think is quickly becoming... It's almost up there with Lords of Waterdeep is one of my favorite games.
2: Is it a two-player game also, or is it just three and above?
1: You could play Bruges too, I mean, it... Yeah, I would say so. I like the, a little more, I mean, it only goes up to four, so I mean, it's not yeah. like you need tons of people to play the game. I think with four people, it adds a little more variety, though, where you're racing for those leader, you know, like being the lead of reputation and people.
3: That's great. Glad to see that our review
1: helped out a lot. I think that's what it was. I think she. I saw her listening to her iPod the other
0: day, and she goes, "Uh huh, right, yeah, yeah All right. I'll play that. Yeah, I'll
1: play it. Let's play it. Can we bring it over tonight? I want to play it with your sister."
0: <laughs> All right. So there's one more game that hit our table this week. Played it a couple times. That would be Canterbury, and uh, that's going to be our feature review. And now for the feature review. All right, so this week we are talking about Canterbury, a brand new game from Andrew Parks that's just launched for Kickstarter uh, backers. I was one of those backers uh, back in May and June, and I got my copy just last week. So we've played it a couple times, in addition to the one time we played it uh, last spring when Andrew Parks demoed it for us, and um, we're going to review it for you. So the theme of Canterbury is basically, um, we're the Saxons, we've just arrived at Canterbury, which it becomes the seat of the... Uh, the church in England um, as the country builds up, but it was, the original city was built by Rome so there are ruins there, that's, the grid of the city is still there, and we're building on top of those ruins. So there are a lot of rules about what you can build and where you can build it, but it's all empty. So you're building on nothing, you're building up your own, um, you're building up your own city basically as, as a group. So it's sixth century England, um, the, the theme of it fits really well, the colors, the all the components are very evocative of that time. And the rules are actually, it's a very interesting mix of different types of mechanics. Um, probably the easiest way to describe it is there's no luck at all. It's, it's all uh, planning and building um, based on you know, your strategy in the game. So the basic idea of the game is there are three phases. And you can choose from them every turn. Uh, there is a levy funds, there is a full build, and then there is a tax and build. You're going to start the game with six coins, um, and if you levy funds, you're going to take the number of gold indicated on the board. On the board, there is a there are the four trackers, obviously, for your own victory points, the four players, and then there's a fifth one for the city. And the city's tracker is going to go up anytime anybody scores points. So it's obviously way in front of everybody. But as it goes up, there are going to be um, numbers beneath each quadrant of score track and that'll tell you how much gold you get when you levy funds. So that's something that will matter a lot in terms of when you take the money and how much money you take. Uh, So levy funds is one action you get the full amount indicated on the board. The next action is full build. If you levy funds you have to full build on your next turn. That's indicated on your player board and that's required. Uh, You can build one or two smaller medium-sized buildings or you can build one of the large buildings. And we'll get to the buildings and what each of them does later. There is also a third action type, a tax and build. And basically what that does, is it lets you take half the money that you would normally get and build something in the same turn. So if you need to build something right away, if you don't want to stock up the full amount of money, you can use a tax and build and you can do that whenever you want, except for after levy funds, because after levy funds, of course, you have to full build. So those are the three basic phases. You're going to do one of those three things every single turn. There are no other options in terms of how you play your turn. But there are a lot of things to consider in terms of what you build, when you build it, and how you build it. So the board is a grid of five by five. And then there are three districts. There's a central district, there's an inner district, and there's an outer district. The central district is basically where the game starts. And the game will start off with one well in the central district and a purple city token. Then there's the inner districts, which is any square adjacent to that center district. And then the outside ring is the outer districts. And those three things matter more for the scoring later if you build a large structure. Um, It doesn't really affect anything else. But they are color-coded, so it's easier to see which is which. And basically what you're going to do is when you build something, you're going to take off of two boards that are at the end of the table, uh, one of many tokens that are available. So there are wells, gardens, chapels, watchtowers, merchant stalls, um, fountains, garrisons. Basically for every resource type, and there are six resource types in the game, there are three different building types. So the small one is uh, just a single square. It's going to take up one of the squares in that district. The medium one is two square sizes, and it's going to take up two squares, and then the large ones are four. The the reason that you want to go for the larger buildings is because every time you put a building down you put uh, one of your tokens on that district and that's going to go towards um, who controls that district later when you do scoring but if you do a medium building for example every district that is adjacent to where you place that medium building is going to get one of your cubes so if you drop down a fountain which is water on one space that doesn't have any water Any space that's directly adjacent to that district that you just placed the fountain will also get your token. Uh, So you can get a lot of tokens really really quickly out on the board, which will affect scoring a lot later on down the the line. The interesting thing, though, is that you can only build these in order. So if you want to build a garrison, for example, which is the fourth of the resources, you have to wait until there is water, uh, grain, and religion on the board if those three things are not marked off with people's tokens you can't build the garrison you don't need the buildings someone's token just needs to be there so if someone built a fountain next door and you want to build a garden which is the next one up on the track, it's the it's the grain um, you can build the garden because there's already a water token on that square because someone built the fountain next door so that's an interesting way of chaining things um, you can for example there's been a couple times when Four or five resources are already in a space before I build anything on it, which is a very cool way to um, either take advantage of that space, you know, already having all those resources there, or to build very quickly. Now, for the scoring, how it works, and this is probably the most complicated part of the game because there are multiple things you have to do every time somebody takes their turn. Each of the tokens has two scores on it. There is the purple, that's the city. The city gets that many points. Um, as it moves up the track, which affects uh, the amount of money everybody gets. And then in the black space, there is the points you get. That's easy, those those are how many points you get. But you also get bonus points if you break ground. And breaking ground basically means that you're the first person to build on any one district. So if you build a well adjacent to the inner district, for example, then um, you'll get one extra point for breaking ground. If you build a well and a garden at the same time in a brand new district, you get two for breaking ground. If somebody has built a well and a farm and a couple other the larger ones around a district but nobody else has built anything and then you throw one down, you might get four or five extra for breaking ground. So it really depends on how many of those you know, tokens are there for control on that space before uh, you build there. And so those points can add up if you do it strategically. The final thing that has to do with scoring is the King's Bonus chart. And there's so there's an extra board off the main board. And on that you're going to track every time somebody builds any one resource. And this is it seems like a lot of you know accounting, but if for some reason the board gets bumped or it gets moved over at all, the number of tokens on this board is exactly equal to the number on the main game board. So anytime you build a fountain, for example, and you put out you know three water tokens, you move up three spaces on the water track on the King's bonus chart. You have to keep track the entire game, so that's the hard part. Every time somebody moves, you have to move up to the King's bonus chart, but you only score that at the very, very end. So the King's bonus chart only matters the one time, but there's a lot of points on that board. So if you're in first place for any run resource, you're going to get the points indicated below that. If you're in second place, there is a second place point marker, but it usually doesn't kick in until around eight or nine on the chart, some a little earlier so you really have to rack up a lot and not get first place. Alright, so the flow of the game basically is you're going to go around and everybody just keeps taking these turns uh, that you either levy funds, full build, or tax and build, but every time the city token hits 100 on the uh, score track, and you're gonna put a little purple token underneath the, the city marker every time that happens so you can keep track, but every time that happens you stop immediately, whoever's turn it is, as soon as they're done scoring you stop and then you're going to count up who controls each district on the board and that'll matter like how many tokens you have there. So the person who controls that district is going to get points equal to the number of squares that are taken up. So if you have two small buildings and one large one, that's six. If you had two medium ones, that's four. Uh, You'll see pretty easily on the board how many are taken up, but the number of squares taken out of the six, that's how many points you get. The second place person will then get half that many points And any time in this game you have something, you round down. So it's important to control a certain number of districts, but you also get a lot of points if you're in second place, uh, which can actually, you know, you throw one cube on a square, and someone has six on there, then you're going to get, you know, three points automatically, which is great. Um, So you're going to do that every time it goes around. It goes around three times. The second it passes 300 points, it stops moving everybody finishes their turn during that round based on who went first and then everybody gets one more turn so you'll have between you know five and seven, eight more turns based on that. And then at the very end, you'll do that one more time. So there'll be four total scorings and then the king's bonus. So there's a lot of scoring in the game in addition to the standard scoring of when you play your turn. So it's really important that whoever's in charge of the scoring track is really on top of things. If they're checking their phone or getting up or grabbing something to eat, this game, it's going to devolve quickly because if you miss one round of scoring, you're, you're not going to be able to catch up because there's that many things going on at a time. Um, you really have to keep on track of the score. But that's really the most complicated part. The actual play part, while there's a lot of components, there's a lot of things moving around, there's a lot of things to keep track of, you really only have so many options. You can only take the three, you only have three actions you can do, and there's only so many tokens on the board to choose from. The There are a couple other little things like... Whoever goes first, which is the only random component of the game, is going to be the Saxon Prince. They get coins, um, I think 2, 3, and then 4, after every time the city marker passes, uh, the, the passes go, so to speak, and in order, people after them also get that. The only person who doesn't get coins is the fourth player, and we actually talked to Andrew Parks about this, and he said it was because uh, statistically, the fourth player tended to get more money. They have a bit of an advantage in how the game plays, so this is just a mathematical way to kind of even that out. It seems it doesn't, hasn't seemed to affect it, the way the game plays at all, so it's an interesting mechanic, but it's not a lot of money either, because as it gets up the score track, you'll be getting 20 or 30 coins every time you levy. Those two or three extra coins aren't going to make a huge difference. So yeah, this is a fantastic game. I've had a lot of fun playing it. I enjoyed it a lot when it first hit the table and I played the prototype back in May. And I was really excited to get it. So this has been a great week. I've gotten to play it a couple times, got to meet Andrew and talk to him about the game, got my copy signed, which was fantastic. Um, and yeah, hopefully that it's it's going to hit the table or hit the stores on November 6th, I think you said. So, you know, it's definitely worth checking out. And uh, that's how you play Canterbury. All right, guys, so what do you think of Canterbury now that we've played it a couple times?
1: I got to say, Canterbury, one thing is this. It is almost like medieval fantasy accounting the game because you do like you said you have to be on top of everything with the scoring it could be really dangerous if somebody falls behind in that that being said the fact that everyone is always working towards the town makes this game great because in a lot of games like take for example suburbia i love suburbia to death but if you have a bad engine and you start falling behind in currency somebody else is getting 12 per turn you're getting two per turn it's almost impossible to catch up Canterbury, the money is always communal. So everyone's success is adding to that pool. So even if you made a few bad decisions later on, you're getting that economic advantage to be able to at least make better decisions later. You're never sitting there penniless going, well, I, I made a wrong play 15 turns ago. Now I'm suffering for the next hour.
0: The lack of an engine is very cool. The, game's, the game is its own engine. That's a really great idea. And it makes it so you really just focus on the building of the city which is one of the most fun parts of the game. Like, If if I also if he threw another mechanic in there where I had to figure out a way to make my own money, I'm not sure I, I would enjoy this game as much as I do.
1: And you wouldn't want to see the town prosper as much because your personal growth would be more important than town growth. Yes. So I love that element of how it comes together.
0: Yeah, it's really well laid out. It's A lot of work went into this. I know he said he's worked on it for a lot of years and he was just finally getting it out. Um, it's very well balanced. Everything seems to work very well. It doesn't seem like anybody has an advantage necessarily based on anything like if you get out the most wells or if you run after this resource or you get the inner districts it doesn't seem to matter it's it's really about how you do it as a whole
1: and that's the thing too like when you were mentioning about on that the king's leaderboard where it's not even like if you have more wells than anyone else like again with suburbia you have eight residentials i have nine i get those 20 points period in this game based on how far you are on that track is how many bonus points you get so say you just really like doing farms and you build farms everywhere. You can get like 10 bonus or 12 bonus from having that many farms while second place may only get one because he only built six or seven.
3: But there is second place scoring there, too, and also second place scoring as far as the board's concerned.
1: Yeah, which is great, too, because, I mean, if you were one point behind somebody, you still get something. I mean, it's not nearly as many. But it's still something, which is nice, as opposed to the usual game rule of, sorry, you're one short. You get nothing. Good day, sir.
0: I mean, I think that second player thing could work really well. I mean, there was a couple times yesterday, I think, because you and I were playing with off the lot of the same squares, where you would have, you know, five of your tokens on there for, you know, influence, and I would throw down one. Because you'd built six on it, and I was like, all right, I'm going to get three points, so one. Yeah. You know, it's... It's an easy three points, and you can do that throughout the board, especially if you can go in and swipe a second place that easily. It's well worth doing, and it's the same on the King's bonus chart if you just get up to a five, maybe, and get two points out of that.
2: I think uh, Andrew Parks signing your box made you lucky because you won two games since playing that.
0: To be fair, he signed it after the first game. so
2: Still. His I knew he was going to do it, it. his presence. That's, that's
1: what set the luck in stone, because the one thing that is also slightly dangerous about this game is um, you cannot get discouraged because I, I didn't come in first, second, or third. and It was a four-player game, so that's always enough. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of the guys left, too, after the second-to-last round, so that was even more embarrassing. No, it's just, but the thing was, um, you got so many points at the end, and that's the one element in this game that's not in too many others, that whoever has the second-most influence in each of those little mm-hmm. city districts is going to get points as well, I think you got something like 28 points. You got a tremendous amount of points from just those city districts in the final scoring. So that's something to watch out for for this game because it's interesting that you can never be in the lead and yet still be getting the most by having that consistent second place in every district. So most games you condition your brain, I need first, I need first. This game you don't need first, you just need to have the most mass.
0: I think that's honestly what I was doing too, like I had a couple, like in the beginning of the game you're going to kind of lock down a couple districts, unless you just spread yourself really thin, but you'll go to one space, you'll pick a few, you'll get those. But later in the game you can decide, you know, like, do I want to spread out a little bit and get some points over here, or do I just want to lock down these spaces? And locking down spaces, unless you've built six on there, you know, unless all the space on that is full, won't necessarily help you that much more. If you already have the space, putting yeah. down two more tokens there isn't going to help you. So you might as well go somewhere else and get second place.
3: Yeah, what I really liked about this game was you, you were always scoring points no matter what you were doing, so it never felt like you, like Dan was saying earlier, made a bad move as far as, far as money was concerned. But even if you place a one-point building and you put down um, a well, you were breaking ground, you get an additional point, your victory point track market was moving up top, you could do a lot of different things. So there was... The scoring for the token, the scoring for where, where it broke, the scoring if the token was a middle size or a large size because then then that spread influence, and then the top track. So a lot of ways to score points, and then like you said earlier, when it comes back around to that kind of like go, you know, kind of first spot, then you score points additionally. So throughout the whole game, a lot of scoring is going on, and really after that first turn, the game
1: really speeds up. Now that's one thing that again that's so different about this game. Most of the games have a consistent pace where you know it's almost like everything is the same build up. Oh, you have a soldier. Now you both have two. Now you both have this unit. Like you feel that steady build up in games. In this game, you can't really play a slow style because every like the game ends when the city district passes three full laps. Now, if you're like, oh, I'm going to try to drag it out to pick up bonus points at the end, there's also a limited number of each buildings. Once somebody builds at the four square farm, that's it. They're done. There's no more left in the game. So if you try to, like, turtle play it a little, where you're like, oh, I'm just going to keep trying to build bank and I'm going to do a big move at the end. There may not be a big move for you to do at the end. And even if you're picking up, well, I'm going to get a well, city only moves up one. Chris goes, I'm buying the biggest market. The city track goes up 29.
0: Yeah, and that happened, I think, the second time around the board. Vin and Chris both picked up a big one, and it went up 60 points. Yeah. Bam. So, like, halfway around the board and, like, half a round.
1: Yeah, like, our first time around the board took, like, 30 minutes. The second time around the board was, like, about 20 or so. And then the last time around the board was, like, Eight minutes because it was like bam, 15, bam, 25, bam. And it was just gigantic mood, which it was. And it's funny because you start getting that panic in your chest. You're like, wait, 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 what happened? I got, all right, I, I got 29. 20, oh my God, that's 30. Like you start feeling that flutter of, can I pull this out? And that was like, that was something that was really interesting too. You're so calm and passive for the first two rounds. You're like, ah, I can take my time. Then the last one, you just feel, <laughs> you start feeling the tightness where you're like desperate to get those big buildings because there's such. Like, they can really shift the balance, and the fact that you put your five influence anywhere on the board, that lets you get into those zones that you may have not had before and make a power play at the very end.
0: Yeah. I should just say, though, like, in terms of strategy, those big buildings, they're awesome, but I have yet to play one, you know, and I score just fine. And he was actually telling us that most of the time it's the people who play those don't win because... You, you are. You're trying to find a way to fit them in somewhere. Maybe you're shoving them in a place they shouldn't go. They don't fit your total strategy. It's the medium buildings that can really make or break your city.
1: And the other thing, too, is based on the way that that game is designed, where you know, you might be forced to buy one of those big buildings, and then you've got to put it in a city district. Somebody comes swooping along. They drop two small buildings, and now they're dominating. So you gave them six points. You're only getting three Or if somebody else gets more squares there by, again, building those big buildings, dropping their tiles, now you're getting none. So you may have gotten a one-time jump that really helped out, but for the rest of the game you're seeing nothing from it. And I mean, again, it's interesting that the game gives you, this is the mega unit, but it's not you won the game, here you go. It's did you play it right.
0: Yeah, and the points, if you look at the points on those, uh, they actually score based on where you put them on the board. The first two you can't put in the central district, which makes sense. It's like, water and granary why would you put that in the middle of your city but later on everything can go in the middle and you score more points if it's in the middle than if it's on the outside which is kind of cool but at the same time if you look at the points you get uh, for example with the town square you'd get 35 points minimum if you put it on the outside but it costs 40 if you bought 2 of the stages you'd get 46 points so you know, it, it ends up being does it make more sense to do that so I can put my tokens wherever I want which could have a huge impact. You could swipe in and get second place in a lot of spaces maybe, especially towards the end of the game. Or do you just want raw points? You know, Or you build up the number of stage points you have. You get 10 right there instead of five.
1: Yeah, and I mean, that's one other thing too about this game. Like, it's a very smart style play game because almost every other game, like Agricola, what cards come out for the different stages, that can be a huge influence. You just might not be lucky in what was drawn. And you know all these other games, anything with a dice rolling mechanic, you might get a bad roll. This game, there is no variables. There is always the same buildings. There is always the same start. Everyone's always getting access to the same money. No one can be earning more than anyone else. There's no personalized. It is, this game is incredibly strategic, which could be a little offsetting for people. Like I was in the lead for a few turns in that game, and I was like, I'm doing well. And then out of nowhere, people started lapping me. I'm like, what's going on?
0: <laughs> I think that was one of the big concerns with the Kickstarter, people were posting, is that there is zero luck. You know, there's yeah. none at all. The only thing that's luck-based is who goes first. And you can actually pick up a, a meeple die that came with the Kickstarter, it was like a bonus, you could pay for it, that would, you'd roll it to see who goes first. But that's it, that's the only thing that really matters in terms of who goes first. But, so the, the, the worry then was replayability. And I don't see that as being an issue because there are so many different options, so different different ways you could figure the board. You're going to respond to what other people do. Maybe you make the same first two, three moves every time, but from there it's going to be totally different.
1: Yeah, I mean, I saw you, you did two wells, and then Chris did two wells. And I'm like, well, I, I got to do two wells because these guys know what they're <laughs> doing. <laughs> Chris wins games. Anthony wins games. I'm making two wells. So for the first three turns, I was following your guys' lead and everything. And then it got to that point where you like I was falling behind a little because I was trying something different. I'm like, no, no, no I got to do what they're doing. And uh, you know, maybe that's why I lost. I don't know. I wasn't staying in that same zone as you guys.
3: There is something to be said about not having that random effect or not having a variability of what actually takes place. So yeah, you can place your wells, you can have a great strategy, but everyone else on the game really does influence your play dramatically. So you really do have to keep a track of what everyone's doing. And if they're placing their cubes in your spot, you're kind of out of luck there because that just changed your game plan.
1: Yeah, you, you got to be a little more ready to react where it's like if you see somebody influencing, creeping into your area, you just built something there. Like you just build the next chain. Like, all right, I'm going to put a garrison because I, I, I need to lock this area down. Because that was one thing. I know uh, I had one cube in an area. You had one cube in an area. And I put the big building. But the only thing is, I knew that you would be able to squeeze one more in there and just tie me. And, sure. You know, I, was, I mean, it was horrible to see. But it was like, all right, do I want to hand Chris the points, or do I want to not get any myself?
0: Yeah, those big buildings can be tough for that reason because they might be the best move you have. But where do you put it? I don't, you know, if you don't have anywhere to put it, then it's not going to help you much. But then if you do, man, you can wipe up with those because oh, you yeah. just drop those cubes, and they're really big because of the king's bonus chart. Because you get the one for wherever you put it, plus five more. That's six. You're jumping up to six. Nobody can really match you, especially later in the game, on that point. So you could just jump ahead there. That could be worth like an extra ten points right there.
1: Yeah, I was behind in water the entire game. And the first place had it by three points more than anyone else. And it went from I was getting nothing to eight bonus points, just like that. So that was pretty cool.
3: Yeah, I think I had first for a while on there, and you jumped at the end. Yeah,
1: because you guys were doing those double well
3: intros
0: every turn. <laughs> yeah, the well the well tokens run out fast. I've seen in every game we play.
1: And that's what was fun. That's what it was, because you guys did the wells, and then you did the wells again. I'm like, well, I'm going to build two wells. You can't. Wait, what?
0: <laughs> They're gone.
1: Yeah, and that's why I had to deviate my plan. And that's when I started feeling sad. Maybe that's the downside of being last place. <laughs> you can't follow people anymore. And then you're like, but now I'm going to lose.
2: <laughs> I have to admit, when you first look at this game. When it's on the table and there's all these cubes and buildings and leaves that are on on each section, I'm like, when I first saw it, I was like, oof, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna like this game because it looks involving, very involving, but the second the second turn, it was just easy breezy. Like I got it immediately. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna build this and this and. I just immediately pick up a strategy. I think this is a good, easy game for somebody who wants to get into Euros because it's simple and you can kind of pick up on it pretty quick. It looks intimidating, but, you know, don't be fooled by that because just let somebody explain the rules and then as you go, it will just flow pretty freely.
0: I would agree with that. It is very. T- it's deceptively simple. I mean, you you look at, like you said, you look at it, and you're immediately intimidated. I showed this to my wife. I'm like, oh, there's a two-player variant. She's like, I don't know if I want to do that. Like, no, no, it's really simple. Like, the video that he made to show how to play it, it's like 13 minutes long. It's really quick. I, I was going to say, when you saw that there's a two-player variant, she's like, that's great. Cool, Chris. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Yeah, and the one cool thing I like about it is it's 60 to 90 minutes. First off, it's accurate, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got it spot on every game i play is around 90 probably a little quicker once everybody knows how to play but also it just feels quick it doesn't drag it's not like I've been playing this game for 90 minutes why are we still playing it it's holy smokes we're done like that was
1: quick if if it wasn't so late last night when we finished I was going to be like can we do one more but you know it's like almost 1 o'clock we figured we should wrap up
0: yeah it is tough and there's a lot of tokens there's a lot of cleanup involved so you you definitely want to have some kind of storage solution bags come in the so you definitely want to bag it up. One of the pieces of advice he gave us was to bag everything up by type. So you bag up all the water stuff. You bag up all the grain stuff. That definitely sped up setup. Um, but otherwise, I mean, there is a lot to manage. So if you buy the game, you should definitely be you know be prepared to be very involved. Don't expect somebody else to keep track of score. Like who's tracking score today? You no, know, it's got to be you. You got to know that you're on top of this because if you're if someone's not on top of it, that could ruin the game. Alone, I think.
1: One thing I was thinking is, uh, so, you know, since I've been doing those million dollar ideas for different companies every episode, for Andrew Parks, here's your million dollar idea. An iPad app that each player's turn, you just tap the building that they buy. It keeps track of it on the leaderboard, and at the end, it automatically tells you exactly how many bonus points that each player gets for whatever they have.
0: I had that thought. An app would be awesome for this. Why steal my ideas? (laughs) Maybe you stole my ideas. I thought of this, like, back in May. Did you?
1: Yes. Okay. <laughs> Did you make it? If I knew how to program... <laughs> we would not be doing this podcast. Yeah, for, I'd be too busy in my mansion made out of helicopters.
0: <laughs> Sounds like a Transformers variant. It is.
1: It's a mobile mansion. My other million dollar idea for any helicopter companies out there. But yeah, I mean, that that alone would just be something fantastic. I mean, even if it had like a sliding scale or something on top of the board for the players. Because, you know... After you keep track of everything, you still got to do, okay, and now we also do this. So, like, you know, a little, like you said, almost like a little bit of accounting, but it's definitely cool. Like, you don't mind it.
0: Yeah, and a couple times someone would jump ahead. Like, whoever was the next person would like, okay, it's my turn now. I'm like, you got to wait because I got to do the scoring. And that, it, the scoring really matters because it affects how much gold you get. Yeah. Like, if you just jump ahead, like, well, now you got less money because you didn't wait until I rented the score and it just went up by one.
1: So. Yeah, I, th- I think Suburbia conditioned us to the wait until it's your turn. Now you do things. <laughs> yeah.
0: So what does everybody think uh, in terms of review? What would you rate this game?
2: I really like the game a lot, surprisingly, because when I first looked at it, I was going to try and stay away from this. But playing it, it's actually really fun. Uh, I would have to say it's a must-play. If you are a huge fan of Suburbia, the fact of creating basically like a small little city getting coins from like buildings. this would be a game for you and you would probably want to buy it um, I like the fact that as you like as you go around you're getting more money and like unlike suburbia though uh, where certain buildings only give you a certain amount of income, this one's like a like a steadily increasing income, which I think is like a little bit better than suburbia. But if you're a, you're a fan of that game, you would probably really like this game.
1: What about you, Chris? What is your
3: opinions on it? Well, as Kim said, when you first look at this game, it looks like a giant ex- Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> and it uh, definitely could be intimidating when you look at all these cubes and where does everything go. And it's, it's almost hilarious when you actually get to play the game and you have this little tiny board with these three spots and that's your action section. And that's the entire game. You don't even have to really pick up the rule book. Just sit down for five minutes see someone play one round of it, and you're good to go. So really a good introductory game for this area control section influence. Like we talked about earlier, Revolution is one of those games similar to this. So if you like Revolution, you might like this game as well. If you've never played any of these games before, this is a good introduction for this, and it could be a play. Or if this is something you like, especially since it does have the history to it, it does have some nice graphic design to it, go out and buy this game. And absolutely pick it up now before it disappears for a while.
1: Yeah, you don't want to see this thing on eBay for $145 in a few months from now and be all upset that you didn't get it. Yeah,
3: Andrew Parks did a great job with this game. And he's, he's involved with so many other projects that this is really, you could tell, it's a passion piece for him. And it really shows.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm going to say that this is like, um, you know, we always talked about the games that you should definitely have in your gaming group. I would say this definitely falls in. It's a really interesting style of city builder. And it's so simple, but it's really deep. So you're going to want to break this out every so often. And what's really nice is there's no analysis paralysis. You would think so with so many options. But again, it falls into that Bruges category of, well, there's no bad decisions. It's just, you know, do you feel like getting more points now or do you want to get more points later? So with the ability for people to catch up, a lot of variety, I mean, it's it's definitely something you should play. I'm so glad Anthony got it. You know, it's like, uh, so now this way I feel, you know, I can loosen up a couple of dollars towards the Malifaux items instead of this. But this is something you you guys should definitely get into your gaming group. I'm really glad Anthony picked this one up.
0: I played this, like I said, I played the, uh, the prototype back in May and immediately wanted to buy it. And he was going to put it up on Kickstarter, I think, the week after that. So... I went home. I put it on my to-do list. And day one, I actually got the early bird price because I was, you know, I was like one of the first ten people because I was like, I want this game.
1: And did you have like an alarm set in your phone? Yeah, exactly. You just it's woke like up on now. you woke up on Tuesday morning. Gotta go to the computer.
0: <laughs> Honestly, I haven't. There haven't been that many games that I responded to like that. And maybe it was partly because I knew that it wouldn't exist if I didn't. It's one of the fun things about Kickstarter. Um, a lot of the times in Kickstarter too, you don't get to actually play the game before you back it. Sometimes you don't even get to see how it plays. But having played it, having known that if, like, maybe my money could make the difference in this existing, I, like, had had to. But even if that wasn't the case, I would say this is a must-buy for me, just because it is, I don't know, it's just everything I like about strategic-style games. Um, I do like luck-based games, but every now and then you want to have one that's not so random, when you want to feel like where you just control your own destiny, where you get to build out your own, you know, your own part of the city, carve out your own influence. I love the theme a lot. you know this is something just going back purely academically. this is something I had a lot of interest in for a long time, um just English history in general. It's really cool to me the way he married the theme with the gameplay elements um and you don't even see it at first, but when he like when he explains it or when you read the rule book it's just it all comes together really well, and regardless it it yeah it does look like a spreadsheet when you first see it. It looks more like a spreadsheet when you're finishing up because all the dots are on there but um it doesn't feel like that at all. Like, immediately, you just you don't even see the grid anymore. You just see the city as it starts to grow, and it really has that effect on you as you see those buildings pop up, or demolishing and building new ones as the city grows, or providing resources to other districts and growing that way and building your influence with the king. It's just everything works together so well and so seamlessly, and the game flows so well, despite the fact it's an hour and a half plus long, that this is a game that... I think anybody, if you like Euros, if you like area control games, if you want that slightly more complicated version of, say, Revolution or a game like that, uh, you should absolutely pick this up. It's that good of a game. All right, so that's our review of Canterbury. This is Anthony. This is
3: Chris.
2: This is Kim.
0: This is Dan. And until next time, we'll save you a seat at the table.
1: Hi, guys. You ready for the next round of Canterbury?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's get this thing out.
1: All right, sounds good, man. All I know is my whole goal is not to be a last
0: place again. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good goal to have.
1: Anthony, I think we're going
3: to follow Dan this time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Dan, you go first. <laughs> oh, great. That sounds like an awesome play. going to be Wells.
1: Now I'm going to go for two Wells in the beginning. Full build, two Wells. Let's see what
0: your move is. <laughs> your move, <laughs>
3: Speaking of which, I think I will do a full build and two Wells.
2: Yeah I'm gonna buy out all the small buildings just to mess with you guys. Every single small building.